Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany, with the twelve. The prophet Isaiah declares that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In C.S. Lewis's The Horse and His Boy, which is the third book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, a country outside of Narnia is ruled by a man called the Tisrock. And whenever the people there mention the Tisrock, they're supposed to say, may he live forever. For instance, the Tisrock, may he live forever, did such and such. Well, there's one girl in this book that refuses to do so. She says, I don't want him to live forever, and I know he's not going to live forever, whether I want him to or not. And she's right. Whether a person is a king or a president or dictator, they will not live forever. And sometimes that's sad news, but oftentimes that's very good news. However, there is one exception to this rule. One king who will not only live forever, but who will rule forever. And this morning, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, powerfully declaring that he is that king. Jesus and his disciples have been on the way to Jerusalem for some time now. And he has already told them his reason for going to Jerusalem. In Mark 10, 33-34, he says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And in doing this, as he says in Mark 10:45, he will be giving his life as a ransom for many. In doing this, he will save all those who put their trust in him. Now, Bethany, Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, those are very near to Jerusalem. And on this final stretch to the city, 
Jesus asks two unnamed disciples to fetch him a specific colt. Now, a colt was a young animal, and we know from Matthew and John's account of this story that he was a young donkey. And that's interesting, because Jesus usually walked everywhere. But for some reason now, as he goes to Jerusalem, he wants to ride on a donkey. And it's also interesting because the detail is given that no one has ever sat on this donkey. No one has ridden it before. Why are these things so important? Because Jesus is declaring by his actions that he is Israel's promised king. In the Old Testament, Zechariah prophesies and prophesies in Zechariah 9:9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The coming king will bring peace, salvation, and rule over the whole world. And how will Israel recognize this king? He will be humbly riding to Jerusalem on a young donkey. And here Jesus comes, fulfilling that prophecy. He couldn't be any clearer about who he is. And he rides on an animal that no one has ever ridden because in that time, no one else could ride on a king's animal. He's no longer keeping his identity under wraps as he did earlier in Mark. Now it's time for everyone to know who he is. Because very shortly, he's going to help them understand what kind of king he is. Through the cross and the empty tomb, he will show them what it means for him to be Israel's promised king. Now we see here that Jesus receives a king's welcome. People spread their cloaks and leafy branches down. They're rolling out the first century version of the red carpet. And they're welcoming him as they would welcome other people coming to Jerusalem. They quote Psalm 118. This was one of the songs the Israelites would sing as they went to Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they add something else to that. They also say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. They're identifying him as the king. And while many are celebrating his arrival, there are also many who aren't. Not all of Jerusalem welcomes Jesus as king. All along, Mark has been showing us the very different responses people have to Jesus. The entire gospel of Mark challenges us, how will we respond to Jesus? Will we accept him as our king? Because Jesus enters Jerusalem as a very different kind of king. Even his closest followers expect him to overthrow Rome. To be a conquering military commander like earthly kings are who will make Israel free. But that's not his mission. David Garland writes that he appears in the city as he has forewarned three times to suffer and die. Not to set up a rival kingdom to Caesar. He comes as a king who will be crowned with thorns, enthroned on a cross, and hailed as the chief of fools. 
his entrance points to a different kind of triumph than the one envisioned by the crowd, one that will be more powerful than any Davidic monarchy and more far-reaching than the narrow borders of Israel or even the Roman Empire. He has no sword. He takes no captives. Instead, he rides in humbly on a donkey. He isn't coming to Jerusalem for a short-term military victory. He's come to deal with our deeper issue. He's come to free our souls from sin, death, and Satan. He will overthrow their reign over us by his death and resurrection. Now, he could just snap his fingers and make Israel politically free again, but that wouldn't solve the deeper problem. Israel and all humanity are far from God. And without his intervention, we will always stand condemned before him. Because of our sin and rebellion against God, we have no way back to our creator unless Jesus intervenes. There is no way to be forgiven and made right with God without the kind of kingship that Jesus brings to us. He is a king that lays down his life. Yet, because Jesus doesn't meet their expectations of what the promised king and savior should be, many will reject him. And yet, his mission and his rejection were also prophesied. Isaiah 53, 3-6, written uh, 700 years earlier, says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was this chastisement, the, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Jesus is the promised king who saves and forgives all who trust in him. He is punished for our sins so that we would be forgiven, so that we wayward, undeserving people would be saved and reconciled to our creator, no longer condemned, but instead declared righteous and holy like Christ. And so how will we respond to Jesus? Will Jesus be our king? He wasn't the king that the leaders of Israel expected. And so rather than embracing God's plan, they turned away and rejected the very one God had sent to save. Rather than bowing to his rule, they rejected him. Will we make that same mistake? If you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior and King, I encourage you to make that first step. But even we who have trusted in Jesus, even our entire lives, can find ourselves living in our own little kingdoms. If you pass by the Burger King in Pageland, you'll see their sign that says, In this kingdom, you rule. And some of us adopt this slogan into our lives without even realizing it. 
We say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but we try to take rulership back from him in some way. And yet Jesus, as our good and perfect king, is someone we're meant to obey. We're meant to follow in the good and just commands of our king because he is trustworthy. Whose ways are we following? That will tell us a lot about what kingdom we're embracing. Now, there are many false kingdoms we can talk about that uh, we can live in aside from Jesus' kingdom, but here are just a few. There's the kingdom of self. Me at the center of my universe, getting and doing whatever I want. We often deceive ourselves into thinking that if we just got these things that we desired, then we'd be content. But it never happens that way. And sometimes we can even wind up destroying relationships when we put our wants and desires ahead of the needs of our friends and family. Jesus says in Mark 9, 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We cannot find life, hope, and joy by living for ourselves and our selfish desires. In fact, if we do, we wind up empty, unsatisfied, and discontent because only Jesus can satisfy our deepest longings. When Jesus is our king, we surrender our kingdom of self to him. Our lives begin to be governed not by what we think is best, but by what he knows is best. We're governed by his kingdom's priorities, his ways, his commands. And our focus is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And in him, we find true life, hope, and contentment. Then there's the kingdom of comfort. In this kingdom, we avoid anything that involves any level of risk, pain, or sacrifice. And many of God's commands are very uncomfortable. I've noted, I don't know if you've noticed this, but many of them are. I mean, deny ourselves, self-sacrifice, love your enemies, forgive, serve those who are beneath you, telling others about Jesus when they might judge you. Some of that sounds downright distressing. And yet, when we seek to avoid difficulty, even in our spiritual lives, we also avoid the joy and growth we find in becoming more like Christ through difficult things. We avoid showing others who Christ is so that they may know him. And we miss out on encountering God deeper through the difficult things. I'll give an example. Jiu-jitsu, which I have been taking for about a year, is very uncomfortable. I mean, I get thrown to the ground, I get strangled, I get my arm contorted in ways it's not supposed to go, I have my face pushed into the mat, flattened like a pancake. Not fun. But without that discomfort, not only would I not learn jiu-jitsu, not only would I not learn how to defend myself against those particular attacks, but I'd also not have grown in the things that I need to grow in. Confidence, skill, 
pain tolerance. No discomfort, no growth. It's very similar in our spiritual lives. And when Jesus is our king, we surrender our kingdom of comfort to him. We trust him, and we trust him that doing things that are uncomfortable, that he calls us to, are worth it and good because they will make us become more like him, the one who did the most uncomfortable things ever to save us. And I really do believe that we encounter God more many times in doing the difficult things of life, in following the difficult commands of God, more so than we do during the easy parts of our life. Now, one final example, there's the kingdom of stability. And this kingdom feeds on our fears, our fears of not having enough, so much so that we forget to look to God. We focus only on our circumstance. And in our fears of uh, financial crisis and instability, we try to handle things on our own, and we panic. And yet when Jesus is our king, we surrender our kingdom of stability to him. We go to him and we say, Lord, I need you to provide because I can't figure this out. We trust that he is the one who will provide our needs, who promises to do that, even though it may look differently than what we expect. And we rely on him, knowing that even if the entire world was crumbling around us, he would still be there upholding us. He is our stability. And we choose even then, to be generous with what little we have. And so friends, let us let Jesus reign in our hearts as king. Let's surrender to his kingship day by day. Let us lay our lives before the one who laid his life down for us. And let us lay down our other lesser kingdoms so we may find true abundant life in his. We fail. We mess up. We prioritize other goals. We give in to fear. We have wants and desires that we place above him. But if there's anything we learn from the cross, we know we can run to him and ask for his forgiveness and grace to start again, to begin again time after time. And he gives that to us. And so let's do that. Where we have failed to acknowledge Jesus as king over our lives and those areas we have failed to give over to him, let us go to him and ask him for the grace to give it to him and to truly give it to him. And let us also seek out the support of other Christians. And we can say, hey, this is something I'm struggling with in my spiritual life. Will you pray with me? We can be open and honest with each other. Friends, may Jesus reign as our king today and always. Let us pray. Lord, you are the king of all kings and you will reign forever. We will be with you forever. You know that in each of our hearts there are places that we have reserved for our own little kingdoms that are nothing compared to you. 
we pray that you would help us surrender those to you, to look to you in all things, to follow your ways, knowing that in doing so, there is life and joy and peace. Draw us near to you day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.